0: Lead Time is a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective hosted by Tim Allman and Jack Kalleberg. Lead Time taps into biblical wisdom for practical solutions to today's burning issues. Each podcast confronts real-time struggles facing the local church in a post-Christian culture. Step into the action with the ULC at uniteleadership.org. This is Lead Time.
1: Happy day. This is Tim Allman. Welcome to Lead Time with my co-host, Jack Kalberg. We believe that eternities are changed when you as a leader choose to grow. We are back. It's good to be back. God bless Jacob Besling, who is now serving at Concordia, Texas. Uh, miss you, bro. Thank you for your kingdom-expanding work. And it's a joy to invite a number of different leaders now from across the country, across the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, uh, to talk about systems and structures and culture and the ways that the church in a post-Christian culture can continue to go on mission to make Jesus known. And now we are pastors and leaders and executive directors, and we really want this podcast to be super, super practical for you. Today, we're gonna be talking about The need for the church to learn from the military. Yes, you heard that right. We are not militaristic, but we are saying, onward Christian soldiers, Jack Kalberg. We've got to go on mission to make Jesus known. (laughs) And so you wrote a blog a a number of weeks ago talking about your experience in the military and giving this really, really applicable handle for the way, possibly one handle for the way the church could explore raising up the next generation of vocational and bivocational leaders. So, so before we get into that topic, Jack, give just a 60-second overview of who you are, what you do, what you're passionate about.
2: Yeah, so uh, delighted to be here. Uh, this is an exciting time for uh, Lead Time Podcast. Uh, we love Jake, and uh, we're just keep fond memories of him and his co-host, but uh, it's it's going to be an interesting time now that uh, it's uh, you and I working on this. So a background on me, I'm an executive director here at Christ Greenfield. I've uh, been a member of uh, Christ Greenfield since 2000, started in a uh, staff role around 2008, um, originally as a business manager and then shifting into the into the role I'm, I'm in now. Um, Unite Leadership Collective um, has been something that... Uh, Kind of was the brainchild of yourself, myself, and Jake, and we, the three of us worked very hard to launch this thing. And um, now it's it, we're kind of working on this new phase of lead time where we're going to be very intentional about connecting this to the ULC. There's going to be a tighter connection um, to what's going on going on there. A little bit about my background while we're going to be talking about this uh, this story about the the military is I served 22 years in the U uh, S army, uh, actually had the hardest job you could have in the, in the army. I was a musician, <laughs> but, uh, one of the interesting things about that type of a job is that you're always around, uh, high ranking people. And so you get yeah. to understand a little bit about what their world is like and the kind of things that, that they go through. Cause you're just exposed to them all the time. So, um, so who? I mean,
1: let's pause yeah. on that for a second. Who yeah. were some of the high level? Would I recognize or our listeners recognize any kind of generals and folks that you rolled with? Because you were in a very prestigious—is it called yeah. a unit or whatever? Uh, it is? Yeah, yeah, it was ahead. a
2: unit, right? Unit. Right. Um, so yeah, um, for the four years I was active duty, I was in the 101st Airborne Division, and that's um, the D-Day division. Yes, that's the D-Day division, and you will see uh, my commanding general. His name is Jack Keen. If you ever like, uh, what, he's frequent on Fox news. He's the consultant that they bring in to talk about Ukraine. Wow. So you'll see him all the time. And he was my commanding general and I used to see him all the time. I've got crazy stories about that guy. <laughs> He's an interesting fella. Um, but yeah, one of, one of my favorite stories is the time that uh, I, uh, I did, uh, it was like a Christmas party. He decided to have a Christmas okay. party for all the officers on the- on At his the, house or At where? his house. Okay. Yeah, at his house. So there's 20,000 soldiers stationed at Fort Campbell, and he wanted to invite them all to his house, which meant that there was a Christmas party going on literally all day long. Yeah. So you'd bring in people- And then they get to hang out for an hour. Then they all have to leave. And another group of people come in. And uh, in between, every time when people would come in and out, we're sitting there, you know, we're playing jazz music. I'm a little jazz ensemble in his living room. And uh, he had this colonel and he made this colonel go around and vacuum his house to make it presentable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> between each uh, each group of people coming in. <laughs> wow. That's, that's amazing. One of my So we're favorites. sitting there taking yeah. a break and this colonel's going around, but I've had a lot of interactions with that guy because, uh, you know, basically we're, the, the, the band supports the division. So right. wherever they go, we go.
1: So including about, in a
2: case like that, they would get deployed to war and stuff like that. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. so talk about, um,
1: real quick, you were a celebrity for a brief moment. <laughs> In uh,
2: at the D-Day celebration. What anniversary yeah. was that, Jack? Yeah. 50th anniversary of D-Day. Wow. Uh, I I went with our unit, the 101st Airborne Division. General Keene was the commander at the time. We went there and uh, we just did a lot. Yeah. Like you said, it was like a celebrity. It was one of the craziest things I've ever experienced. Uh, we were treated literally like celebrity rock stars everywhere we went. We were getting mobbed. I was signing autographs. I had... Teenage girls ripping things off my uniform to keep as mementos. It was crazy. Uh, <laughs> I but thought we were going to have to edit what you said I, they were ripping out. No, no. Okay,
1: <laughs> just to be clear. But, All uh, right.
2: Yeah. No. Is so you got got a little bit of a taste of that and uh, came to learn that being famous is cool in one area but not cool in many other areas. I can see why they get frustrated. With found fans hand, hounding them and stuff. Let, can, me, let me do really- my job. <laughs> <Just No. laughs> let me do my job. I came here to play instruments. Yeah. Let me. No, yeah. that That's it's cool,
1: man. Thank you for your service, and uh, it's gonna be fun, listeners. We're not always gonna talk about the military, but today <laughs> you have a lot to learn, and we do uh, give great, great honor and respect to all who put on the uniform in yeah. all of our branches of military, and we are praying for our country and for our world in these uh, tumultuous times that we walk through right now. And the world needs the gospel of Jesus more than ever before. And we are humbled and proud to be a part of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, a historic, confessional, liturgical, and on our best days, very, very mission-minded church body. But Mm -hmm. the LCMS, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, has a huge problem, We have many, many churches who are being served by retired pastors and many, many churches that do not even have a retired pastor around who are looking to call maybe a seminarian or a pastor from the field, and there simply are not enough pastors to go around. Um, I can't tell you how, because people know I'm very, very content at Christ Greenfield and the mission we have here, but then people ask me, you know, who do you know, who do you know? And what I tell them, uh, especially in maybe a larger church context, you should explore raising up your successor from within your congregation rather than mm-hmm. looking to our institutions uh, for the next gen. And so um, what we're gonna talk about today is one opportunity to say the local church, need everything we need to multiply the message of Jesus is within our house. And so could there be a way for us to raise up leaders locally and, and respect the West Point, the Concordia Universities, seminaries, universities, at the same time, put together an ROTC type of training for local lay and bivocational to vocational leaders. So with that, Jack, talk about you had this epiphany of West Point and ROTC and how the church could learn from them.
2: Yeah, so um, I guess it was at the last synodical convention, they, they, they held a vote affirming um, the residency MDIF program as the gold standard. And um, I don't think you and I would dispute that it is a very, very, very high quality program. Uh, we work with vicars all the time. We've you know raised up people that, and there's pastors serving all over the country now that have uh, been vicars through here, resident theologians through uh, the Concordia Seminary program, excellent program. Um, but at the same time, There's also a realization that our denomination is shrinking quickly, and the quantity of people uh, that that system is producing is not anywhere near uh, the quantity that is uh, needed to meet the demand, even for vacancies that are coming up. Um, So set aside even the fact that we're moving into this post-Christian society just to meet the needs of the existing church that wants to continue to be the church. There's just not enough people being produced. So, um, you know, I come from this military background, and the military has always been phenomenal at raising leaders. And I've always been uh, somebody who has believed strongly that the church, not just the Lutheran church, but the, the big church, uh, can learn a lot about what the military does to, to raise up leaders. Now, you think there are parallels that exist between the army and the church. The purpose of both entities is to raise up. Commissioned leaders who will own the mission. They will just take ownership and say, this is, this is what I exist for. Everything is for the mission, right? It's a different mission for sure, but it's mission, mission-oriented leaders and it's leaders at every level. It's not just, we're not just, they're just not raising up generals. They're raising up sergeants. They're raising up corporals. They're raising up people across a whole spectrum to create an army that serves an entire nation. Right. And so they've created this very intentional leadership pathway, this leadership structure with intentional training that happens at every uh, every level of rank and growth in leadership. And it's appropriate for that person. So when I became a sergeant in the army, a prerequisite for me to become a sergeant is I did a, a one month residency program where you just live, eat and breathe training on how to become a sergeant. And then I had a similar thing when I became a staff sergeant. And right, it just goes on for every every level of rank. Um, so this is something that they think of above all, they're trying to start to create this identity in their soldiers. You are a leader, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you are. You are a leader. If you're gonna be a leader, then you need to know how to be a good leader. And we're gonna teach you how to be a good leader. And that happens in formal training. And that happens very much in mentorship. The sergeants that I had, Uh, The platoon leaders that I had, the people that I served under, they were very much my mentors, and they took that as a very serious uh, calling in in their role. So um, you look at some of the big challenges that our country has faced, world wars, multiple world wars, civil wars, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the, The U.S. has been in a position where it's had to raise up leaders very quickly, and this kind of gets into an interesting history. Now, as we talk this through, this can, I think can become an aha moment as we think about leadership development in the LCMS. Um, way back in the day, uh, we're talking about the 1800s. Uh, this is like 1802. So we're going to do a little bit of a history lesson right now. 1802.
1: Let's go.
2: Uh, Thomas Jefferson signed into the legislation. Uh, a law that created the United States Military Academy. And that's what we call West Point right now. So this is an institution that goes way back. It goes way back before the Civil War. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about the Civil War, the North and the South, is that you had generals on both sides that were West Point graduates, Mm -hmm. right? Same doctrine, same leadership, going at it, which is one of the reasons that it made it such a horrible, deadly war, is that they both had really excellently well-trained generals, <laughs> right? Um, but there's an interesting story that goes along with the creation of the of West Point, which, you know, it, if you're not familiar with the military, it is regarded as absolutely the premier, top of the top, gold standard for raising up commissioned officers. Right, best of the best. It is incredibly prestigious for somebody to be to be considered a, a West Point graduate. Is it hard to get in, Jack? Is it hard <laughs> to get into West
1: Point even to today? Or yeah, yeah. Is it hard well, to get in?
2: Yeah. Well, I told you, I told you my story, right about when they. Well, you haven't told our listeners. No. So <laughs> maybe I should tell the story. So it's okay. Uh, th- this uh, this happened to me in boot camp. Um. This crazy thing happened where, I mean, everybody knows boot camp is crazy and the drill sergeants are there to make your life miserable. This is about toughing you up, building you, building resilience, tearing you down, building you into this kind of new person, this new fighter, warrior. Um, and so, this one crazy evening, uh, our drill sergeant, um, this is probably about two o'clock in the morning, he was furious and he just kind of started screaming at the whole floor got everybody up, and he crowded everybody into this little tiny bathroom. And this little tiny bathroom, the latrine, was meant to be just for the drill sergeants. So we had this big kind of open bay bathroom for all the the troops, and then this small one just for the drill sergeants. We weren't allowed to go in there. We weren't allowed to go in his office. We weren't allowed to go into the bathroom except to clean it, and that was it. Um, So he... Puts us all in there. There's probably, gosh, I don't know how many of us were in there. Probably 50 people crowded in there like sardines in this tiny little bathroom. And he proceeds to scream bloody murder at us because apparently somebody had used the toilet and then didn't flush the toilet. And uh, so first of all, nobody was supposed to be in there. Second of all, they used it and didn't flush after themselves. So this is like he is blood red, curling red. And, um, sort of the notable point is at some point he reaches down into the toilet and starts flinging stuff at no. people.
1: No, yeah, that's nasty. <laughs> I hope people are I hope people aren't eating right now, okay, yeah, so,
2: on. yeah, I know uh, Adam's there, he's probably gonna hit the mute button at some point. <laughs> we were joking. <laughs> joking about that earlier. um so so yeah, this happens, and then you know he he has them clean clean up the bathroom head you know top to bottom spotless. And then we just kind of move on. This is just one of many crazy things, but this was extraordinarily crazy because of what happened. So a day later, about two days later, day, day or two later, uh, the chaplain, uh, there's a chaplain, you know, military's got chaplains everywhere. So this chaplain shows up and, and he, um, he pulls aside. I want to say uh, there's probably about 10 of us that he pulled aside He said, I want to see these people in this room privately. And he pulls us in there and he proceeds to say, somebody filed a complaint with me. Uh, And then he kind of says, I heard the story about the drill sergeant, you know, screaming at you in the middle of the night and then going into the, you know, flinging stuff from the toilet. All this is happening. And I just want to know if this really happened, because if he did do this, he's going to be in real trouble. And I need to know. And uh, so everybody's just like looking around at each other (laughs) and saying, is anybody going to say anything? Most of the people are glaring at each other like, don't you dare say anything, right? So um, I kind of very timidly raised my hand and said, I'd like to speak to you in private. (laughs) And then this other guy, this good old Kentucky guy, Murphy, I think his name was, he raised his hand and said, I'd like to do that too. I'd like to speak to you in private. And uh, everybody else in the room was just like scowling at us. How don't, how, don't you say anything? Right. So the chaplain's like, okay, you all can go. And uh, I'll just want to talk to these two. So they all left. And then I proceeded to say, well, you know, I can, I can tell you what I saw, but I can't tell you what I didn't saw. You know, I, I, I saw these things. I, I heard him say these things. I don't know exactly what was in the toilet. I have, I have no clue I couldn't see in there. Um, so I don't want to, accuse what I I can't see, but I can just tell you what I saw. And uh, this other guy, Murphy, said the exact same thing. So he said, okay, this is important. Thank you. He goes. Go back to my unit. The guys are like, what did you tell him? Nothing. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I don't want to. Don't worry about what I said. Just it's not not a big deal, right? Um, I get called in the next day again by this drill sergeant into his office. He calls me into his office. And he says, Private Kaliburg, I just want you to know, I think you're going to have a phenomenal career in the military, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for you. And that was it. You can go. That was it. And then right after that, me and this guy, Murphy, uh, got pulled in to the commander's office. And the commander said, "Uh, you guys had exceptional scores on your uh, ASVAB test. Is the the test they do to uh, um, score people as they're coming in. And um, we'd like to offer you guys a slot to West Point. Wow. So uh, he took the slot. I declined it because my desire was to do the band. I didn't want to, it wasn't my career path to be uh, um, an officer. Hmm. So something my folks never forgave me for. (laughs) (laughs) Even now they're like, you could have been to West Point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what happened was that whole thing was a farce. It was an integrity test, right? They wanted, first of all, they were screening for intelligence and competency, but, uh, and this is a lesson. What was even more important was to screen for integrity. Mm. So will you say the truth, even if the truth will, will potentially have a negative impact on somebody that is a very scary, intimidating authority figure. Right? All right.
1: It's such a, such an amazing story. And yeah, we, we would love to make the connection right now. Um, unfortunately, our, our seminaries, which we are making the statement, they are the West Point. I was mm-hmm. blessed to go through that incredible, incredible experience. But because enrollment is so low, The expectations or, say, the upward draft of young men and maybe not even young men, but men who have been tested in the local context, that upward draft of leaders um, is not exactly there. So what wins the day? We will take just about anybody who enrolls. And this is no disrespect to anybody who's at our Concordias. We know you've got the bottom line to, to get figured out. And so unfortunately, because we've not set up a number of these tests at the local level, um, some of our leaders who come through, it is all about content, Jack. And this is the this mm-hmm. is the big miss. And I wanna make this connection very, very clear. As local leaders, we must, in our discipleship of future leaders, focus on character, the heart and mind of of Christ, integrity, love, joy, peace, the ability to not just be a doer, a narcissistic doer. Everybody's drawn to me, but I exist to serve. I exist to equip the saints for love and good deeds. And so if the local church went on mission to develop more of an ROTC type of a setting, there would be that upward draft of leaders who the local church could say, this man is filled with integrity. So go and fill, his knowledge with his brain with as much great, great theological content as possible and then send him out to be a missional multiplier back in his local context. We unfortunately have said in this that the seminary is the be all end all, and we are equipping doers. No, you're not. You are equipping developers of uh, the message of Jesus. So we must see as local churches, like Christ Greenfield, like many of your churches, we are a development center. We exist to
2: multiply disciples. Make another connection there, Jack. Yeah, so let's, let's go back to the Army story. They start West Point. They need leaders. And there's this crazy story of this guy. His name is Captain uh, Al- Alden Partridge. And he was one of the very, very first uh, graduates from ROTC. And he was so talented that they made him an instructor there. And then very quickly, he became the commander, hmm. the, the uh, commandant of the school. And he served there for several years. Many of the traditions they have now at West Point were founded by uh, Captain Partridge. Um, But um, at a certain point, he leaves there under pretty contentious um, circumstances that sounds like there was a bit of a power struggle when he left and even a court-martial, but that ended up being dismissed. So he's out of a job now, and he very quickly— ends up starting up a, a new institution. It was the, I got it right here, the military institution in Virginia. It became the first, um, it was the military academy in Norwich, Vermont, actually, not Virginia. And it was the very first private military school in the United States. And this is actually when you think about ROTC, this is the the birthplace of ROTC, the first privately run military academy. Um, the vision of of uh captain partridge was we need to create schools at the local level so that citizen soldiers can benefit from military training so that a person can live work be a part of the local community and have access to become uh, to military training so that he could be uh an officer in the local army remember the air uh the u.s is um it's got a big national army, but every state has an army. Every state has a National Guard unit. So we're raising up officers at the national level and we're raising them up at the local level. Um, and so eventually this program becomes so popular that it gets um, written into law. So even before you know World War I and World War II, we already have a history of raising up officers at the local level. So fast forward, what does it look like today? 1700. 1700 universities in the United States are running ROTC programs, hmm. right? You've got one West Point, you've got 1700 ROTC programs. 70% of all the officers that are commissioned today are being commissioned through ROTC. Wow. Right? So you're ef- effectively quadrupling the amount of leadership, uh, leaders that are being commissioned because of this vast network of ROTC that exists. Now, the question is, is that a, is that a an inferior program to West Point, right? You can, say, you can say West Point is the gold standard, but what is the gold standard used for? Yes, it's used to develop these students, but it also creates a, a high bar mark that you use to inform these other programs like you have at ROTC. So what they develop in West Point benefits ROTC. You have the benefit of the high quality curriculum that's being developed, and you have the benefit of the scale that's being developed by ROTC. Yeah, it's accessible, and here's the key thing: is ROTC graduates are not secondhand officers. They're actually seventy percent of the officers, right? So they're not seen as secondhand. It is prestigious to be a West Point grad, and and it's looked very uh, favorable on. Um, but you're not considered uh, less of a lieutenant, a secondhand lieutenant, because you weren't uh, West Point graduate. And so many famous generals are products of ROTC. Colin Powell, right? One of the most famous I've generals heard of him. we know. Yeah, I've heard He of started him. off as a private in the army, right? And he went up the pathway and he went to ROTC and he became an officer commissioned that way and eventually became chief of staff, secretary of state, right? So uh, there's been many uh, multiple uh, chiefs of staffs uh, that were um, West Point graduates. And had that program not existed, the Army would not have benefited from their talent. This is the key thing because, first of all, the institution cannot accommodate five times as many students, right? The other thing, too, is it creates incredible vulnerability when all of that training is concentrated in one spot, right? If there really was World War III or something like that, a terrorist attack, and it knocked out West Point – Could officer training still continue in the United States? Yeah, we have 1,700 ROTC programs. It's going to continue just fine,
1: right? So, yeah, this is so good, Jack. I I pray you as a listener are making the the connection. We have 6,000 churches in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Uh, Those will be declining within the next generation because the upward draft of leaders are not there. But say even just a fourth of them, Jack, you're the mathematician, 1,200 or something like that, had an ROTC type of a training. Uh, Imagine what the church could do to start micro-churches, house churches, as well as revitalize existing churches and launch multi-sites. That's our mission, 20 campuses in 20 years, and we're raising up leaders locally. So at this point, we got to get into Kairos and the Luther House of Studies. We're in conversation right now to, to robustly bring Lutheran Church, Missouri, sent wonderful doctrine to many of our lay leaders, and uh, we have nine students going on, ten students, and here's the big deal. Some leaders will say, why don't you send them to the, the gold standard, uh, residential education, or to one of our universities? They are not going to go there they're not going to the, quit their jobs. No, these are bivocational right. leaders who simply want to serve. And so we've established a partnership with uh, the Kairos University system. It's, think of it more as a platform rather than a respective theological house of studies. We're working with the Luther House of Studies to then put our LCMS stamp on their curriculum map. And here are the non-negotiables. This is where your mind gets blown as you raise up bivocational vocational leaders. One, it's fully accredited, same accreditation as at our universities and seminaries. Two, it's very, very inexpensive. It's only $300 per month. And so the actual cost now, we have a lot of grants and a lot of uh, ways that scholarships can be given to students, but there's still an actual cost. The actual cost of training these students is 20 to 25% of what it actually costs to go through LCMS universities and seminaries $300 a month. You develop a mentor team, a faculty mentor, a personal mentor, a ministry mentor who put together your customized learning journey where you take classes. Not for credit because it's outcome based. You take classes, you do ministry projects, you write papers, you read books, and then you have a master outcome assessment with your mentor team at the end of that respective outcome journey. So for an MA, which Jack, you're in, this is six different outcomes. For a master of divinity, it's uh, nine different outcomes. Now, this is a kicker. We've got three students right now who did not even have a bachelor's, they're entrepreneurs. So they are going through Kairos and their outcomes that are serving to complete their bachelors are serving dual to lead toward outcome for their their master's program. It is off the charts amazing. So if you want more information, just go to uniteleadership.org and we are praying that there is a wonderful, wonderful reformation of the church to say everything we need within the local uh, congregation is here and training is also available. Jack, uh, one last note, know what I mean. What does this training mean to you? You've entered into Kairos now for about the last four, five, six months. Um, you and we as a team have never had more robust, conservative, Lutheran, uh, systematic theology-focused conversations than we're having right now. What has Kairos meant to you in the Luther House of Studies?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's been an incredible journey um, going through. It's a very, very, very robust, conservative Lutheran program. And I'm learning things uh, that I never knew about our Lutheran heritage, about our theology. I'm getting things explained to me that um, I had never known about before. Um, And it has completely shifted the way I value (laughs) our—I mean, you've seen it yourself, Tim— Everything now is like I got to see everything through the Lutheran lens. I I take Luther and I'm applying it now to everything. Every time we read a book, every time, you know, something in culture comes up, I'm looking at it through kind of Luther's lens. But the key thing about Luther's lens is that it points you back to Scripture. So it's just this incredible program that unlocks Scripture and unlocks the ability to to minister to people. I'm an absolute uh, raving fan of the program and um, I've been in the uh, the Reformation class, studying, going deep, studying the Reformation. Tim, I've seen it impact on you uh, as you were teaching uh, your sermon uh, this last Sunday. You gave a shout out to uh, the people that have been going through the Kairos program and how passionate they are about making our, our Lutheran theology accessible to people. And I think that's really what it is. Take the word Luther out of it if you have to. Um, it's... It, it doesn't matter what Luther says. It matters what the scripture says, but Luther is just such an incredible guide to unlock the scriptures for us. That's right. So that's where the value is. Yeah, um, it's, it's amazing, Jack. We need,
1: we need an ROTC within the Lutheran Church, Missouri yeah. Synod, and things will not change apart from local leaders, pastors, those who have been through the gold standard. And by the way, Jesus never used gold standard language. He never used hierarchy language. He humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. So, one of my prayers is that pastors would just stop with where I went, how I did it. If the local church has Called and raised up leaders, and they've gone through whatever path SMP um, or the cross-cultural ministry program. They are respected and loved. And last thing, what's your what's our dream with those that are going through Kairos and the Luther House of Studies is that they would one be respected, acknowledged, mm-hmm. and then two they would have a colloquy path if the church wanted yep. to deploy them for works of ministry. That just like those who have come from outside of our church body and gone through colloquy, and there are many, and God bless them for the wonderful work that they're doing, but we should have ample respect and intentionality in raising up our leaders, who many of them who have been in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregations their entire lives. And now we want to go deeper. We should have a colloquy pathway for them. So if you would like that template, which we've sent to many districts and leaders, uh, just go to uniteleadership.org, send us an email, and we'd love to get you that that overture for a district and synodical convention.
2: And if anybody's feeling unsettled by, by this right now, of what we're doing, this is my challenge for you. Please let us know. Tell us, in Scripture and in Confession, why it would be wrong to raise somebody up with an MDiv at the local level and and give them colloquy if they strongly agree with our confessions. Yeah. Right. We would love to hear what what that reason argument. in scripture and, and uh, confessions would we want to not do that? Exactly. I would love to hear that. I've not heard one one uh one argument at all. Not right. one.
1: Amen. Jesus is good. It is a good day. Go and make it a great day. Thanks, Jack, for hanging out as lead time gets rolled out once again. If you want more information, UniteLeadership.org. Jesus loves you. Go on mission to multiply disciples. We will see you next week. Peace. Take care.
0: You have been listening to Lead Time with Tim and Jack. Follow the ULC at UniteLeadership.org the ULC consults and brings together cohorts of congregations to build the culture, systems, and structures of intentional discipleship multiplication. Let us know how we can serve you. Thank you for listening to Lead Time and stay tuned for next week's episode.